Hello and welcome to May I Have This Dance, a podcast from the Human Awareness Institute or Hi Among Friends. We're here because we love having real, rich, juicy conversations with people. We strip down with the people we interview, figuratively and only sometimes literally, to the undercurrent of what it means to be human through the lens of love, intimacy, and sexuality. As an organization, Hi is a place to explore and embrace our humanness. Obviously, a podcast can't replace our workshops, but we do hope that in these interviews, you're able to catch a glimpse of who we are and what we do. Shall I get started with the interview? Let's do it. For our very first episode, Haya and I are interviewing Peter Rangel, who is a facilitator at High. It was a truly fantastic interview getting to know Peter a bit more. He has been a part of High for a long time, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. Peter has been a facilitator since before I was born. He originally worked with Stan Dale, the founder of High, facilitating his first workshop in 1989. That's incredible. Hey, Kate, at some point during the interview, uh, Peter talks about being in an ashram, and I just actually realized that I don't fully know what that is. Do you know? Can you explain? Sure. An ashram is a place of religious or spiritual retreat where individuals embark on inner exploration to gain spiritual enlightenment. Super helpful. Thank you. Well, on that note, let's go straight into our interview with Peter. Shall we get started with um, what your name is, what pronouns you prefer, and where in the world you live? Sure. Uh, my name is Peter Rangel, and my pronouns are he and him. And I live in Marin County, north of the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco. Wonderful. I'm in Oakland. I can almost see you from here. Oh, wow. Great. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm far away, but technology brings us closer. Isn't that wonderful? It is. Definitely. Hey, Peter, I would like to... Um, ask you a wonderfully weird question, which is sure. ask your closest friend, what would they say was the most interesting thing about you? If you ask my closest friend, that's probably my wife. <laughs> and she would say how unpredictable I am and how in the moment I am and how I won't make agreements about the future because everything changes from here into the next moment and I keep myself free to be in the moment. Mm. What does being in a moment mean to you? Um, well, there's nothing else to do in life from one perspective of just being present, uh, being quiet inside. It's kind of a receptive mode for me. It's uh, letting energy come into my, myself rather than pushing energy out into the world and allowing myself to receive from nature, to receive from other human beings, to um, be present with them in a way that they feel safe and they can go deeply into themselves and come forward with whatever uh, the deepest place they can access in the moment. And that's the reward I get is by tracking them and being with them and being in an emotional rapport with them and um, having some real connection rather than speaking from the mind and speaking from thoughts and speaking from what seems a more superficial place to mm -hmm. me. That is so good. You mentioned a deep, a deep stillness or a deep uh, quiet within. I feel like I've only experienced that in the most fleeting of moments. Um, can you say more about that and how you get there? Um, well, I, um, 
part of how I've gotten there to start with is to be in ashrams where there's a particular energy field that um, is a collective energy that really is quiet and is a, uh, makes all of that more accessible. Um, and I've been in about four different ashrams and lived in them over the years. And that's um, being in that energy field. One of them I was in for about three and a half years um, just uh, has gotten me to be able to do that more and more in my life and uh, just independently living in a house in Marin. Um, and uh, from one perspective, there's nothing else for me to do than to just be here now and no past, no future and relax into the now. Hmm. What was it that originally drew you to um, an ashram? Um, I was actually over in Oakland, and uh, this was in probably the early 70s. Um, I, was, I walked by an ashram, Muktananda's ashram in Oakland. I had no idea what an ashram was. I just got drawn in the door by chance, and as I stepped inside the ashram, all these experiences started happening for me that I had no idea were available to human beings, and they were very um, deep, profound, quiet experiences of light, experiences of uh, no ego, experiences of emptiness in a beautiful way. And um, it was so powerful that within a week I had sold everything and was living in the ashram. Peter, I I really tuned in when you said that for you, there's a, a beingness with someone about what's really happening now. And to me, there's kind of a lack of agenda there. And mm-hmm. For me, in the workshops, especially with you facilitating, I've had you as a facilitator. And, uh, of course, you know, our workshops at high are often very structured. There's exercises and there's an mm-hmm. agenda to the to the workshop flow. But we create space, mm-hmm. especially in the large group shares, but also in, in group shares and with your buddy. There's space and time for basically unstructured sharing, right? Just time to mm-hmm. open up and... I'm curious as a facilitator whether there's a component there for you when you are being with someone in, in let's just say, a large group share where they're up in front of the room with you, talking to you and going within. Mm-hmm. Will you just share a little bit mm-hmm. about what it's like to be with them as they're unfolding their process and what that's like for you as a facilitator? Uh, sure. I, I feel like um, as a in large group share, there are different moments where kind of my creativity comes out, I guess you'd say, and that's what I consider it. Um, and in large group share format, there's a way as a person speaks, um, I'm just opening my own soul at some level. I'm attuning to that person. I'm kind um, best way I can describe it is I'm in their experience with mm. them. So whatever they're feeling, I'm feeling as well, um, because whatever they're feeling, I felt, you know, there's no separation. There's no uh, there's no judgment I have on any feeling. I love feeling feelings. And mm. as as I tune into that person's feeling quality, I think either consciously or unconsciously, they can feel that and they feel safer and safer because they're being gotten. And then as they go deeper and deeper, um, I'm a doorway there for them to go deeper. And as they speak, um, I have no idea. I'm hearing what comes out of my mouth as soon as everyone else is. There's no thinking process involved. Mm-hmm. It's just a, it's just a, an experience that um, sometimes it's wise to keep quiet and let them keep going. And sometimes there's a, a way that I might ask the right question to help them go deeper, perhaps. And 
I think it's more about asking questions than giving answers so that they can keep exploring within themselves. I love that. Keep asking questions rather than giving answers. I feel like that's such a huge part of what is so healing about high is there's not necessarily a formula of any kind or a right answer or a fix. It's just about being together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Mm-hmm. How did, I mean, each per- yeah. each person has their own wisdom in them. Yeah. They, they have their own answers and um, it's much more powerful for them to get them for themselves than for them to hear it from an external source and then have to kind of make that their own. And sometimes that's helpful and helps land, but I think it's much more powerful when they have the space, which most people don't give, actually, the space for them to explore inside and come up with their own aha. Hmm. That strikes me as very wise. And I'm curious, does that do those kinds of insights like that come to you through your own experience within high through practice, you know, how have you grown and, sh- and changed as you've been within high as a facilitator and as a participant as well? Um, I would say probably all of that started way before high when I was in India with different teachers. And um, I, I found the value of silence. I found the value of uh, listening, of receiving. And then as I came to high, um, I feel like that uh, attitude or that uh, take on life uh, got reinforced by high and I come to that uh, other level of listening as well. It was kind of a mutual uh, process between who was at high when I got here and as we've evolved over the last Mm -hmm. 30 years. Mm. Wonderful. You mentioned something earlier about um, tapping into you know, just speaking without thinking. I feel like that is something that is extraordinarily rare in that I feel like a lot of times when I'm having a really deep, intimate connection with someone, the words just kind of flow. But I think 99.7% of the time, I'm there up in my head trying to formulate what I'm thinking about. Mm-hmm. Have you found a way that you actually tap, uh, tap into that emotional stream of consciousness uh, actively? Uh, The word that comes to me when you say that is vulnerability, and it has to do with um, oftentimes in the morning, I do what I call a vulnerability meditation within myself. Um, A lot of meditations, I think, actually uh, keep you up in your head and keep you thinking and um, really uh, don't value the tenderness of vulnerability. It kind of bypasses the emotions or tries to bypass the emotions. And I found for myself personally that my emotions are the gateway out of the thinking process and into the more human kind of connection that is underneath the words. So in the morning, I'll um, just sit and just be quiet in myself. I'll breathe into my heart let my heart get tender, let my belly get tender, and just feel what's in there. And oftentimes it's tears of some kind, tears of gratitude or uh, tears of pain of some interaction I've had in the last 24 hours or, or, or whatever it is. It doesn't matter what the experience is, just the feeling of the feelings opens up other dimensions within myself as a human being and allows me to explore uh, emotionally and then that the emotions can lead to a quietness underneath the emotions, which is a deeper quiet than on top of the emotions, um, or to um, sometimes experiences of light of some kind or something like that. But it's just uh, vulnerability and tenderness, I think, for me. 
uh, relaxing my jaw, relaxing my tongue, breathing into my heart. It's a meditation that I actually teach, but more importantly, I practice for myself. So I very, very much value vulnerability. And for me, there's an element of, you know, when we're being vulnerable, we're also letting go of some of our defenses. And I think that it can often be kind of an unconscious defense to be in conversation with someone and thinking about what you're going to say next, right? Right. So rather than preparing your response, you know, dropping into a state of tracking the other person, really deeply, actively listening to them. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I think that's one of the... um, one of the gifts that we don't speak about enough, I think, in high, I try to speak it. You know, I think many, many people learn to be incredible listeners because when one person in a paired share, when one person shares, the other person never gives them any feedback or suggestions or, you know, solutions as well intended as they <laughs> can be. So knowing they aren't going to do that, then they don't have to be thinking about their response and they can really be present with the person in front of them. And then that person gets to unfold in the, um, the in the energy of the support of their partner. And it, it can be challenging. I've I've sat in conversation with a buddy and tried to stop nodding approval right and that's even that not saying anything but just Uh giving them some kind of like um reinforcement other than just my pure open attention it's challenging we're really Uh Uh well wired to do that yep yep i'm curious peter if you know in all your time as a facilitator and you're also a therapist is that correct um, actually, I can't call myself a therapist. I used to have a license from state of California, okay. which I, I sent back when I started leading high workshops because um, they would consider me having dual relationships and it didn't fit in with the model of the Board of Behavioral Science Examiners in California. So I sent my license back many years ago. So the label, um, I, I'm a person basically, <laughs> who, who sits sits in a room with another person and something happens. But I guess the label would be a spiritual counselor is kind of the label that's used so people can try to understand what I do. But it's really just two human beings being together at some mm-hmm. level. I feel like person is a beautiful thing to have on your business card. Be- yeah, really, really beautiful. Yeah. And maybe you just gave us a, a clue to the answer to my question. But I'm curious of all the time you've spent diving inward and also supporting others, you know, is there a topic or a theme that really lights you up and gets you excited to talk about and be with people and perhaps it's spirituality, but maybe not what, what kind of lights you up? Um, being just being present with them and letting them take the lead as to where they want to go and what i notice is the more they feel me with them then the deeper they go and i don't care what the topic is it makes no difference it can be about sexuality spirituality it can be about anger it can be about whatever Mm -hmm. it doesn't really matter uh I don't really have that much of a preference as to what I experience inside myself because there aren't good emotions and bad emotions and right and wrong and all of that stuff. We're all human beings and I'm here to um, embrace Peter, the human being in all the different aspects and to experience them without judgment and celebration. And I think that gets communicated to other people. So they feel safe to go to places that um, some people might judge about themselves. Mm. That so speaks to how I know you, Peter. It reminds me of the story you tell sometimes about your son embracing fear. Would you mind telling that story? 
No, it's a, it's a kind of become lore. Okay. In, in okay. I. <laughs> so you have to go to a workshop and to hear I'm that at, one, huh? No, I, no, I'm happy oh, okay. to talk about it. I'm just saying that, you know, um, so, uh, what, what this story is, is uh, when my son, who's now 22, and he knows I tell this story, I have his permission. <laughs> but um, when he was three, four years old, um, we were in our hot tub in our backyard as the sun was going down and it was getting dark out. And he turned to me and his name is Kavi, K-A-V-I. And he turned to me and he said, Daddy, I'm getting scared. And the daddy and me is trying to figure out, you know, what do I do? Do I tell him there's no monster in the bushes? What do I say? And I said, oh, okay, Kavi. Well, let's just say hello to your fear together. So together we went, hi, fear. And I, and, and a few minutes later, he turned to me and said, Daddy, my fear is gone. And I said, okay, well, let's say goodbye to your fear. And together we went, goodbye, fear. And I didn't think much about it. And it so happened the next night, we were in the hot tub together. The sun was going down. It was getting dark. And I wasn't paying any attention. He was kind of over in the corner on his own. And all of a sudden, I hear this total innocent voice coming from him going, hello, fear. <laughs> And something lit up in me. And then a few minutes later, all on his own, he goes, goodbye, fear. Mm -hmm. And just the way he said it, there was no judgment. There was no preference. There was a recognition of what was happening for him emotionally out of total innocence. And that in that moment, he just became my teacher of if I could be so innocent to just embrace whatever comes through me, because all human experiences are there. So, you know, we, we play around with, you know, hello, joy. Goodbye, joy. <laughs> hello, anger. Goodbye, anger. Hello, sexual turn on. Goodbye, sexual turn on, you know, just to to allow ourselves to not cling to something if we think it's good and it's disappearing or judge ourselves for what we might think is bad to just be in the experience. So lots of people, you know, come up to me during the workshops and just go, you know, hello, jealousy, <laughs> goodbye, jealousy, whatever it might be. And it just frees us to think, you know, we shouldn't have certain experiences. Well, we do have them. And what if we would let go of our own agenda for the experiences we think we're supposed to have and be so innocent to just embrace them as they come through us you know so right on it just it's freeing just listening to you talk about it I just think it's just mm. yummy this idea of allowing our bodies and ourselves to have this non-attachment to our feelings and just mm -hmm. let them be what they are without making up stories about it or needing to fix right. it I mean just allowing right. it yeah right and without squashing them either to let them mm -hmm. come through mm -hmm. you know and it's beautiful. Yeah. I've heard you kind of skirt around intimacy throughout this first 20 minutes or so, talking about intimacy with yourself and being like uh, laying yourself bare, uh, intimacy with workshop participants, people you work with and your son. What, what does in intimacy mean to you? Again, it's in the <clears throat> arena of vulnerability. It's in the arena of... Um, a different kind of connection, both with myself and with other human beings. It's not really in the linear mind. You know, this whole culture, the whole society really encourages us and supports us to be in the linear mind, which, you know, um, has good and bad and it's, you know, sells products. It makes you think you're not so great. So you better buy this or buy that or whatever it does. And intimacy in and of itself is its own reward. So either within myself, as I get tender and feel some feelings, I 
become more alive inside. I become more attuned to the trees and the vibration of nature. And, you know, love is a vibration that you attune to. It's always there. But how to get there has to do with a kind of intimacy with self, a tenderness that allows me to drop into that vibration or with another human being to, you know, uh, look in their eyes and just stay present without necessarily using words, although words can be fine, but there's just a way that there's a um, an inherent deep place that's waiting to be exchanged with each other. And oftentimes when we're up in the thinking process, um, there's something that gets exchanged mind to mind that's different and that some people find incredibly rewarding. I mean, there's, you know, inspiration that comes from the mind and, you know, all kinds of things on this planet were built and invented from, you know, that kind of inspiration. And for me, um, I'm not interested in that stuff particularly, you know, I'm much more interested in the human to human contact that happens through uh, tenderness and through just reaching out and touching the, someone's cheek and just being tender in that without any sexual agenda or erotic agenda, just right here with you, human to human contact. So, Can you say more about touch that isn't sexual and, and where that has a place in your life and what it means to you? The biggest place in my life um, is both with my wife and also in leading workshops. And um, you know, many couples come to the high workshops uh, that have, whenever they've started touching one another, it did have a sexual agenda. That at some point they were going to get to the genitals, get the genitals turned on in whatever way, and maybe there's a, a goal of orgasm or not, but certainly something to do with eros and eroticness, which is beautiful. It's a, a wonderful way to have a kind of intimacy. And then there's a whole other kind of um, that we very deliberately lead um, in uh, every workshop, we have time with an apparent share where one person reaches out and after the person has spoken whatever boundaries they have in terms of being touched, um, just with the fingertips, starting with the face, just very, very gently and tender, like you touch a baby or a young child, you know, just a very tender, tender touch that isn't massage, it, uh, it, it isn't even have a pleasure goal in terms of physical pleasure, but there's a, an emotional pleasure that happens and a safety and a tenderness that opens the heart and um, allows for the kind of intimacy we've been talking about. And as people learn to have that kind of um, touch, receive and give that, it just gives a whole nother um, paintbrush and a whole nother way to relate to other human beings that um, most people wouldn't think of relating with their friends that way or, you know, with their parents that way or whatever, you know. So it just gives a whole nother uh, vehicle for human to human contact. Peter, Haya asked me on, a, on another podcast, you know, how do we bring this more into our lives? You know, we come to a workshop, we all let the guards down to a certain extent and allow in that sweet, tender love and affection. And it feels amazing when you're there. And then we all go back to our home lives. And for some of us that can be somewhat jarring to come back into a world where we, we have to kind of pack it away, put it, put it back into its place and, um, you know, relate differently, a little bit more distantly. I'm curious what you would say to, someone wanting more of that sweetness with friends or even coworkers, or, you know, I think it's radical to think about it with coworkers, but let's just go there. You know, how do we start integrating this into our lives? 
Well, I think um, different people are on this planet with different purposes and different ideas and why they're on the planet. And um, and some people think about that and some people don't think about that. Some people see a value around vulnerability and some people mm-hmm. don't. And um, and I'm not here to change anybody. So there's a way I can up. Um, approach someone and start having a conversation with them and if that conversation unfolds and there's an interest there then there's a uh, you know I certainly wouldn't step up to a stranger on Mm -hmm. the street and start touching them on their (laughs) face Mm -hmm. you know the people that stay in my life in my life are the ones that resonate with that and light up with that so you know I uh, have a kind of trial and error at some level with some new people or you know, with with my family, um, I have a brother who's totally open to that, and I have three sisters who aren't. So he and I relate in a very tender and close way. And with my sisters, it's much more uh, conversation, which is fine. It's just a different way of relating. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, I think it's really looking at um, not assuming that people don't want this because some people that have never tried it did, doesn't know it exists. So there's a an opening and an offering and a total availability for them to say yes or no and not have my own agenda that they say yes and give them the freedom to say yes or no. And they either respond or they don't. And if they respond, then in in my choice, I would spend more time with them. And if that isn't of interest to them, I probably wouldn't spend more time mm-hmm. with them. You know, I, I want to want to go where all of me is welcome. Yeah. That is something that I see particularly strongly in high. Um, I feel like in, in my everyday life, um, saying no to stuff is very, very hard. Um, but in somebody's workshop, I've experienced that, you know, uh, I've experienced that saying no is actively encouraged and, and very welcomed. Um, h- how have you experienced that within or without workshops? Uh, so for, for me personally, um, I love it when someone says no to me because that's their truth. You know, someone that always says yes to me, sometimes I'm kind of wondering whether their yes is really, you know, congruent with their deepest place because they're so in the habit of saying yes or trying to be a nice person or whatever. So uh, for myself, there can be moments where I'm really vulnerable and asking for something and someone says, you know, no thank you to me at that moment. And it doesn't mean that it doesn't sting in that moment. But that sting isn't what runs me. That sting is just in the moment, whatever my history has me contract in that moment. But in the deeper sense of it, it's like, thank you for being truthful to me. Thank you for whatever your boundary is around that or whatever works for you or doesn't work for you. And I actually end up feeling closer to the person, even if they have no interest in ever seeing me again, because they've told me the truth, Mm -hmm. you know? So um, there's a whole thing about rejection versus just hearing another person's no i can only reject myself you know if i hear someone's no in a particular way that has me feel less than or something like that that's me doing that to me the other person is just saying what's so for them and i can turn their no into whatever i turn it into so i'm responsible for my responses to it and it doesn't mean that in a moment that no isn't painful that's part of me being a human being and it's kind of sweet that it's painful because there's something that was meaningful i was looking for there that i didn't get so 
Um, if I never had any strings, I'd be a little worried about that. Am I protecting myself somehow? Am I too independent or am I too some way of not needing people or not needing connections? So there's a, there's a beauty about the need for human connection and the sting that can happen when we get a no to that. But it's all part of the process versus I should be so enlightened that I never have a sting. Mm-hmm. I don't believe that for a moment. Mm-hmm. It's also kind of beautiful to. in that you're embracing both both beauty and pleasure, but also the learnings that come from pain. Am I hearing that right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And that you know, yeah. I did. I just had I had an experience. I started um, a relationship with a friend, and we were really connected, and I fe- I felt really tender with her, and I could t- you know sh- she felt equal to me and consciousness and stuff we were unfolding a friendship and then um her life got really busy and um she needed to go do what she needed to do and i was just recently in a setting where i i actually grieved the loss of time with her and i wrote to her and said you know i just had this moment of grief from us not connecting more and she said oh i'm so sorry wrote back i'm so sorry blah 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 and i said don't be sorry. It was a sweet moment for me to see how much you mean to me, you know, and it's fine. If we never see each other again, that's fine, you know, but I thought it was lovely that I had that much tenderness with you that I missed you, you know, and it was, then she got it and it was real sweet. And uh, so there's just, you know, whole different paradigms to live from that aren't traditional or aren't in the kind of normal way of thinking of us as human beings. And at its root, it feels loving to me. It feels like there's this loving acceptance of your experience of, oh, you know, there's some tenderness here or vulnerability in the ask, perhaps, you know, that you put yourself out mm-hmm. there for something and maybe it doesn't go the way right. you hope. And then loving, right. you know, what is with the other person, accepting where they're at and, and not just accepting, though, the, the love I hear in your voice when you're describing it is, um, yeah. it's just all enveloping. Yeah, mm-hmm. very mm-hmm. much so. I can't imagine that wouldn't create more intimacy. How could it not? You know, that yeah. you both, both yep. are just okay as you are. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. yep. It sounds like you have been on an incredible journey from randomly walking into ashrams in Oakland to India <laughs> to other parts of a, of a wonderful journey. Um, what is the most surprising thing you've learned about yourself throughout all of that? <laughs> how long it takes to get enlightened. <laughs> when, when I walked into that ashram in whatever the early seventies, you know, I was having uh, the ultimate, I was having enlightenment experiences. There was no ego. There was no I there. Were, I mean, it was incredible for different periods of time. And I thought, Oh, wow, this is easy. This is fun, you know? And, um, and then uh, what happened was that was kind of, from my perspective, it was kind of a gift from the universe to let me know what's possible, you know, what what can happen for human beings in terms of uh, uh, no ego involved and just a beautiful empty space that, out of which all the love is born. And uh, then as I came out of the ashram and that experience of being back in the world as a human being again, um, I thought, oh, I'll be, I'll be in equanimity no matter what really soon. And here I am 40 years later, and I, I have to, I've had to totally change my definition of enlightenment, I guess. My, my joke with myself is just accept that you flunked enlightenment this lifetime, <laughs> Peter, and enjoy being a human being. And maybe that's enlightenment in a different way, you know. I think it absolutely is. That's, yeah. Hmm. Peter, I'm curious, 
to learn a little bit more about how you dance in relationship, if you're willing to go there. I'm, uh, you share a workspace with your spouse, and I know that you have just a beautiful, what looks to me from the outside, a beautiful connection and friendship, deep love with your wife. Would you be willing to just tell us a little bit about your love story and who you are as people? Sure. Um, so uh, when I left, or I was with Rajneesh up in Oregon, and in um, 1985, I came back into this this culture, and um, I had a house in Mill Valley. I was renting a house, and I was renting out rooms, and Donna, my wife-to-be, I had no idea, came and rented a room in that house. So she, we started out as housemates. Oh, interesting. And, and um we we were really attracted to each other and knew this was incredibly dangerous. Like you don't have sex with your housemate, you know, <laughs> that's crazy. And, but we did, and we jumped off the cliff and went for it. And she had just left her husband at the time. And uh, so she was in a grieving process. So I spent a lot of time holding her and her grieving her husband. And that actually helped ignite my emotions and got me more tender inside. And uh, she's what I call my emotional teacher because she could, access herself really well and feel all of that and um we it hasn't been a smooth bumpy ride i mean easy ride there have been um two two different times we thought we broke up and um each time uh, each one of us kind of had a different topic as to why we broke up but we both agreed we needed to break up uh one time we actually moved apart and uh, thought we were done done and then kept seeing each other as friends and uh, actually recreated a new relationship. The old one had to die because it wasn't working for various reasons. Mm. Um, So we created a new relationship in which each of us was satisfied that what was missing from our last one was here in this new one. And uh, that, that first one uh, we came back together and then uh, we kind of broke up emotionally at a second time but didn't get as far as moving apart because things move quicker in those days and we both got what we each needed to get in terms of rebirthing a new relationship so that's gone on and um you know we've we've had easier times together and more difficult times together uh when our son was born it was an incredible experience for both of us uh, i was 50 when he was born and had was glad i had done everything i wanted to do at some level so i could be totally with him without thinking there was some place else i needed to be i was totally ready to be a dad and Donna for to be a mom at that point, um, incredibly bonding in that way, and at the same time, it changed our dynamic around sexuality. You know, with with him in our lives mm-hmm. and all the energy to devoted to be mom and dad, and so there was some difficulty more for me than Donna around that change, and um, you know, we had to communicate about that, and you know, we ended up actually getting a childcare person would take our son out of the house so we could have our time together in our house rather than thinking we had to do it somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And we've been pretty creative in you know, ways we've handled things. Um, there's been um, ways that my anger has been difficult for Donna. So she's helped me really look at my anger and where it comes from and how to breathe rather than just going into anger and, you know, going outside for a walk before responding, just different things that I've learned how to, how to not have that affect her so deeply. And I don't have the same experience of her anger coming my way 
affecting me that deeply. So it hasn't been an issue in that direction, but the other direction it has been. Um, we aren't perfect matches sexually. And so there's been a dance around what to do with that. And th there's just been a great partnership, great communication around that. And um, ultimately, you know, after 30 years together, um, we're, we're two individuals. We have very different interests on the planet, actually. She's a singer and a dancer, and um, neither of those are of particular interest to me. So where our lives overlap, it's beautiful. And, you know, we have our connection and our son's off to college now. So we're on our own again in the house. And, you know, there's just a beautiful interdependence and independence and you know she goes out, out in the world much more than me i'm kind of a homebody and sit with the trees and i'm quieter than she is and so there's just a way um ultimately i feel like both of us are individuals who share what we share with one another and overlap where we overlap and encourage each person to be independent and to have their independent life as well it's worked really really well for us and it's it's come through trial and error and through uh joy and pain and expansion and contraction and mm. you know I, I think um the tools we teach at high have been really useful for us personally you know we've taught couples classes and you teach what you need to learn so mm. you know we've been learning all along for ourselves and learned so much in that room of love about human beings and about ourselves from you know i've i've i didn't i've led what 7500 workshops oh, or something wow. like that you know I've, you know i've led about 25 a year for 30 years so anyway whatever that number is 4500 whatever <laughs> that number is a lot a lot of workshops and um, each each weekend I learn something as well as teach something. So I feel privileged to be in that room, you know, and what happens yeah. there. You, you summarized this with such um, matter-of-factness almost, but I, I sense there's a really deep uh, emotional journey there too, right? Full of heartbreak, full of hope, full of, you know, uh, regret and no no small amount of suffering as well, right? Um, yeah, I, yeah I would. I wouldn't use the word regret. I don't have regret, but because okay. I've I've learned from it all. But the rest of the, the rest of the things apply mm -hmm. for sure. I don't want you to tell the whole story again, but I feel like there is a a layer of emotional depth that I wish uh, I was able to see a little more in how those, especially at the points of transformation, right. Um, you mentioned that you, you guys almost broke up twice, but mm -hmm. or, or actually, you know, burned it to the ground and rebuilt it twice. Um, I feel there is a certain, that really speaks to me. There is something beautiful in there. I would love to hear a little bit more if you're, if you're open to sharing more. Sure. Um, it's, this is, we're going back 25 years or so, just so you know, but so um, let me just stop for a moment here. So at, um, at, at that point in our lives, we were still relatively new. This was within the first five years of our relationship. And um, so there, were, um, there was a, a profound energy that happened between us and a, um, a, a beautiful unfolding of our souls together. And at the same time, um, I, I, neither of us would say we're the quote unquote perfect partner for one another. And for me, what that does then is teach me what unconditional love is, you know, because 
it's unconditional and it's not about having your partner be the cookie mold that you want them to be or whatever, you know? So, Mm -hmm. um, uh, as we came to the point of needing to split apart, both times it was absolutely mutual. It wasn't like one person was deciding to leave the other person and we'd hold each other and cry and feel the, you know, feel the, the, uh, dissolution of our relationship that we, you know, mutually felt needed to happen. And, um, as we'd cry, there'd be an incredible intimacy with that. And, uh, you know, a, a kind of, a um, in our hearts, just some, something, you know, deep, deep pain of letting go of being in each other's lives. And then as we'd come to the other side of that, then, uh, and it had to, you couldn't, you couldn't do this in the hope that it would get reborn. You had to really let it go, you know? Mm -hmm. And so as it would be gone, then we kind of look at each other, you know, this is over a period of time, you know, kind of, well, who's over there now and who are you now? And, you know, what's there now? And so organically there'd be kind of tiptoeing back in and trying it out again and, and, you know, then getting a bond again and having it go deeper and deeper. But um, one one thing I've, I've said is that um, uh, I, I have this kind of secret desire that's not secret, that um, having Donna die first, because uh, for the grief that I would feel, it would take me someplace I don't think I could access any other way. You know, it's like that, that grief would take me into corners of my heart and some beautiful, deep, profound place that um, I would welcome. It would just rip me to shreds. Mm. And um, if she, if I were to die first, I don't know what happens when you die, if you grieve from the other side or if I have no idea, but so from this narrow little point of view, you know, I, I, I would miss out on that opportunity for that grief to take me someplace that um, I, I don't think I can go any other way. I, I've had some, um, I had back surgery and a, a, after the operation, they gave me the wrong meds and I was in just excruciating pain that took me someplace that was profound in the end that you know to go underneath that to find the place that's deeper than the physical pain um it was a blessing in disguise you know so pain pain has its has its uh advantages if you look at it that way thank you for sharing so vulnerably peter about your relationship i find that i crave, you know, um, what to me is somewhat lost in our culture now that we live so separately in our kind of our little, you know, one family homes, we, we miss the intergenerational storytelling of like uh-huh. where you've been. And, and for me, you know, at the beginning of my life in some ways, uh, you know, starting a marriage at the very beginning and kind of wondering, wow, how will this all unfold? And, and mm-hmm. being a child of a generation that, you know, most most uh, marriages of my parents' generation around me ended, came to an end. And there's a curiosity uh-huh. for me of like, wow, how will we rebuild kind of um, what it means to be in relationship? And it looks to me like my generation is redefining that quite a bit. And mm-hmm. it's really helpful so. to hear from someone who, you know, maybe from the outside looks like, oh, you've got this perfect, deep, lovely marriage. And to hear from you like – it's lovely and it's human, right? There's, there's right. iterations to this that you're seeing. Uh, the version that you're seeing now has a long history that isn't so linear and predictable. Yeah. 
you know, uh, when when my wife and I make love, we're not just in the moment making love. We're making our whole lives are making love in <laughs> that moment. Yeah, my son's in there someplace, and I, you know, our home is in there, and all the different iterations I've been talking about. All of that is contained within the moment of our connecting uh, when we're in the deeper places of making love. You know, and it's it, it you know I've. Um, I've been sexual with other people and, you know, it's a beautiful experience and can, you know, be heart opening and erotic and fun. And it's, it can never be the same as making love with my mm -hmm. wife. You know, it's a, it's a whole, it's a merger of not just the moment, but our lives in a beautiful, beautiful and deep and profound way. Mm -hmm. Do you, out of curiosity, ever wonder or anticipate whether there'll be another kind of rupture or separation at some point in the future? Or do you feel like you've moved beyond that possibility? How do you kind of grapple with that? Um, I don't think about it particularly. Mm -hmm. uh, I, anything is possible. Mm -hmm. You know, I, n neither of us think so. You know, our lives are planned around going to death together and um, we certainly have different interests. I've, um, I may go off and live in an ashram at some point, you know, after I retire from high or whatever, you know, it's possible I'll go to India for a period of time and she'll be here. And, but, um, whether we're physically in the same place, um, we will be together till the day we die. If we, if she ends up running off with somebody, it doesn't <laughs> matter. We will still be together till the day we die, you know, and whatever th that flavor is. And, you know, it's it's uh, it's beyond being in the physically in the same place. We're part of each other's soul in some way. So, mm -hmm. you know, that just in terms of um, connections with other people and possibilities of leaving us for someone else and all of that, it just doesn't it's not really relevant. It, that could happen. Um, and it's not really relevant at some level. Mm -hmm. you know? nice. That is so wonderful. Mm -hmm. I think that is a beautiful place to uh, to let it go. Yeah. Okay, I do love to part with one particular question, though, which is, what is the one song you can't not dance to? What is the one song I can't not dance to? Um, well, I would put that in my own language, and that would be a song that hits me the deepest. And it's actually... Um, Barbara Streisand's song, People Who Need People. Oh, um, that's wonderful. I, I used to hate that song <laughs> because um, I was a meditator and I didn't need anything from anybody. I sat on my own in lotus position and got rid of all human beings and need for any contact with human beings and went into my own satori experiences on my own or in the presence of a guru so when i used to hear that song it was like yuck people that need people what's neediness yuck and then i realized with donna um how beautiful it is she used to say i i, I when i went off to workshops so she'd say i miss you and i used to go you miss me yuck you know don't miss me live your life and then I began to see how beautiful it was that she would miss me and how beautiful it is that we need each other and that there's something bond that goes on in that uh, need for human contact and human intimacy and connection that rather than it being yucky, it's actually it takes a certain kind of vulnerability and beauty for me personally to allow that neediness and to allow that uh, need for connection. So that that song, it's just been interesting as it, you know, just as a mirror back to me of who who I am and my journey, you know. <laughs> Such a good story.
So Peter, thank you so much for spending time with us today. It's been just a true delight to hear about your life and who you are and speak with you today. Thank you. Absolutely wonderful. Thank you so very much. You're very welcome. And you guys are great interviewers. You know, I just felt like we were hanging out in my living room, you know, and it was really, really sweet. I loved uh, how you were with me, had me feel safe to come out as well. So thanks. For more information about the Human Awareness Institute or our workshops, visit our website at hi.org. That's H-A-I dot org. Thank you so much for listening to May I Have This Dance. It was a pleasure to have you with us. See you soon. Bye-bye.